But let's get to this. Um, the first 50 verses, we've already talked about it in our observation time. He's being accused. He's this is the response to the accusations. So he's being accused of speaking against the, the, this place, right? They mention it twice in chapter 6. But we're going to see that he isn't speaking against this place, but he's using the Old Testament to clarify that God isn't confined to this place, this building, a place. And that's why I'm going to highlight some parts in his survey where he mentions, like, God appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia, Moses in the wilderness, Joseph in the, and it's not this place. And then you even get to David and Solomon, and they built the temple, but Solomon even says, God's not confined to this place. So he's going to, he uses the Old Testament to clarify and respond to that accusation. But then he also mentions and talks about Moses. And as you look at the parts, when he starts to look at Moses, it's, Moses is very much a type of Christ. And he's trying to highlight the way the fathers, their fathers, treated Moses. And so when he tries to bring the point home and tries to help them see, like, you know, the way that your fathers rejected Moses, who was the great prophet, that I'm not bad-mouthing Moses. I mean, if anything, I'm honoring Moses by saying the prophet that he spoke of is, the, is, is Jesus. But the way that the fathers trashed him, you're doing that to Christ. And so right when he tries to bring it home to that main point, that's when they kind of have this gnarly response. And then we see his response to their response. But anyway, let me, let's, let's, let's kind of see these things through the survey and, um, or through, through his sermon and, um, and go from there. So I want to highlight in, in verses 1 through 50. Uh, look at verse 1 where he says, the high priest said, are these things so? So he's like, guilty or not guilty? And Stephen said, and Sherry pointed this out, I love that he addresses them as brothers and fathers. He didn't say, hey, punks, who falsely accused me. You ready? One more time. No, he says, brothers and fathers. Look, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was where? In Mesopotamia. Verse 9, the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him in Egypt. Scroll down to verse 20. At this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight. So Moses had favor with God. Verse 29, scroll down a little bit more. At this retort, Moses fled, became an exile in the land of Midian. Verse 30, 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him where? In the wilderness, in the flame of the fire of the bush. So God of glory appeared to Abram, Mesopotamia. Joseph in Egypt. Moses in the wilderness. Look at verse 32. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled did not dare to look, the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet for the place. Remember, they're accusing him of bad-mouthing the place. And he's building a case right now. God's not confined to this building, this temple, this place. I'm not bad-mouthing this place, but I'm trying to give clarity. God's not confined to this place. He says, Moses, Take the sandals from your feet. The place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he goes down. He brings up another case. Verse 45. So it is until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God. 
asked to find a dwelling place of God uh, for the God of Jacob. So David wanted to build a house for God. Verse 47, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Now look at this. Then he brings it up. He says, yet the most high, this is Solomon speaking, does not dwell in what? Houses made by hands. As the prophet says. Stephen's building a case. Brothers, fathers, you're so, you're so attached to this place and places built by human hands and your customs and your traditions, all, all your man-centered stuff. We're all like that, though. You're so attached to your tradition is a powerful thing, and I'm starting to really see that in my own life and just even being a servant in the church. Like, and they're so caught up in these things where he's just, you know, God is not confined to this place. Verse 49, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? What is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So he's answering their accusations. Remember, since Stephen became a Christian, he's reading the Old Testament now with new eyes. He's reading it. I think someone said earlier, he's reading it the way Jesus reads the Old Testament. And so how is Jesus reading the Old Testament? Luke 24, 17, Jesus said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interprets to them in all the scriptures, the things that are concerning himself. So the first, and he's answering that accusation of like, you know, I'm not speaking against this place, but understand this, God was never confined to a place. It's God's presence that makes it holy. And so we read on, and he, he now also in his summary, he's, um, they're accusing him of bad-mouthing not only the temple and this place, but even against Moses, the law of Moses. And Stephen's trying to build this argument. You know, I'm not bad-mouthing Moses. Everything he was mentioning about Moses, they were all in agreement. They didn't jump in and say, no, that's not true, that's not true. No, everything he's saying. Um, write this down. In John 5, verse 39 to 40, Jesus says, you search the scriptures, which is the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's they that bear witness about me Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. In verse 46, he says, if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. Moses wrote of Jesus. Stephen is trying to build, like, like do this Old Testament survey and help kind of connect the dots and help them see, give greater clarity that this is all pointing to Christ. Moses is talking about Christ. You know, and, and so try to try look at, um, look in the 7 verse 27. Because this is where he starts in his, in, his narr uh, in his sermon, started talking a little bit more about Moses. But he says this in verse 27. The man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? He's speaking of the way the fathers treated Moses. Moses being a type of Christ. And so... When you also look at verse 35, Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you ruler and a judge? This man God sent as rule, both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led him out performing wonders and signs in Egypt, like Jesus does, at the, at the Red Sea in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, note this, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. So when he gets now to verse 51, 
You're going to try to see. He's, he's giving this survey. He's like, I'm not bad-mouthing the, this place, but God's not confined to this place. Get your eyes looking bigger. And then he's like, I'm not bad-mouthing Moses and the law. Moses spoke of Jesus. And actually, guys, the way that our, your fathers had treated Moses, which Moses was trying to point to Jesus, he's saying, okay, now he's going to get to 51. Here it is. Because right now, they have no problem with what he's saying. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, we, you're, you're doing the history pretty well, man. Good job. Keep going. And then, and then when it gets to 51, this is where it's gonna, he's going to start to hit. This is the point of his whole Old Testament survey. He's bringing it all together. And he's, gonna, he's about to apply it. And then this is where it gets nuts. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people. First he says you. So he's giving them survey, history. And then he, he starts to get personal. It's kind of like, you know. In the sermon, you're hearing the narrative or whatever, and then it starts to get to you. You, stiff-necked, stubborn-headed, obstinate, headstrong. It's, you know, like move your head. Unrepentant. You're set in your traditions. You're set in your customs. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart. That's a big one. Notice it says in heart and ears. The soul and the senses closed off. Interesting. Uncircumcised. They're not circumcised in heart, but they're only circumcised in flesh. You stubborn-headed, obstinate people who only look circumcised externally. Romans 2 says this, verse 28 and 29, no one is a Jew who is one merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but the Jew is one inwardly Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. So Stephen's starting to take all this knowledge that he, they, they all know of the Old Testament, and he starts to not just give greater clarity of how it's coming to Christ, but now he's starting to address their sin. His summary was to answer the accusations and address their sin. He's going, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised in heart, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Here's the big point. And he brings it together, as your fathers did, so do you. You're repeating the same sins your fathers did. History's repeating itself again. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the Righteous one, that's Christ. And you have now betrayed and murdered. That's always been the message of the apostles. You killed Christ, this Jesus. You crucified him. 53, he says, you received the law as delivered by angels, and you did not keep it. Stephen's pretty much saying, I'm not the one who's breaking the law. You are. And you got to commend this man because he's, he's speaking the truth in love. He doesn't, he's not afraid to address their sin. That's noteworthy. That's huge. He doesn't sugarcoat this sermon. He tells them straight like it is. You know, Blue is start, starting, he's got, his, he's got his feet a long time ago, but um, 
as a parent, you know, if we see our children, right now Blue is learning that awareness of whether to be on and off the street. And um, if he starts running to the street and <laughs> and he's and the, the, there's traffic that will destroy him, am I going to stand there and think, okay, how should I tell him? How should I tell this to him in a way where he's not going to get mad at me or not? Like, no, I'm going to just tell him, son, don't go on the road. You're going to die. I'm going to tell him like it is. I'm going to speak that truth in love. And I want to do it as clearly and sincerely and, if I need to, strongly as possible. This is strong language that Stephen is using right now. And he doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush. He cuts straight to it. He goes straight to the heart. And, I, and, and the reason why I'm so strengthened and encouraged by this really is, I, guys, I think we're living in times where we lack preachers who would do that. Nobody wants to address sin. Notice for 50 verses, they had no problem with what he was saying until he said, you, stiff-necked, you, uncircumcised in heart, you are a sinner. There's a big problem, I think, in our time where we don't want to address sin, and we don't want people to address sin to us. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Oh, no, 3 to 5. It says, a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth. That's what we're about to see right now as we read on. These religious leaders, Stephen told them the truth in love. And we're going to see their reaction. They can't handle. Let's keep reading. We're at verse 54. Really quick before we move on, though, like, ask yourself this. What kind of preaching are you looking for? Like, do you hate sermons that expose your sin? Like, think about that. Let's see how the Sanhedrin ha handles this part of the sermon. Now, when they heard these things, what things? Verse 51 to 53. It's when they heard that he was directing it at them. They ground their teeth. They were enraged first. It's a term that means they were sawn through mentally. They were rent. Their heart was cut in two. This is not the same in chapter 2 at Pentecost when their hearts were pierced and they were convicted. No, this is, they were vexed. They were like, they were not pierced and convicted. They were pissed. They were enraged. Don't tell me I'm stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart. You know who you're talking to, Stephen? Young boy? They were enraged. And they ground their teeth. It's a grinding. It's a biting, a gnashing of the teeth. It's a picture the way hungry, savage wolves are looking at their prey. Now, I just want us to see this, that Stephen was speaking truth and love, but they couldn't handle the truth. They couldn't endure that sound doctrine. I read in Timothy, it says, people will not endure teaching but have itching ears. They, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I ask again, what kind of preaching are you looking for? You want sermons that just entertain, 
tell you what you want to hear. They would not put up with this kind of talk. No, sir. No, Stephen, don't tell me I'm a sinner. This is big right now, I think, especially because I know that I'm speaking with a handful of you guys. And just in, our, in, in, in these days, as, as, the, as, as the day draws nearer, there's going to be more and more false teaching and preaching where I think there's going to be gatherings that they'll talk about all these things of God. They might, they might quote scripture. They might use the Bible. But they're not going to address sin. They won't. And we got to, you know, that's a big one to miss. We, we must be a people that want to welcome the doctrine of sin. I want to know total depravity. I want to know that I'm a sinner. It's that black backdrop of sin that makes the message of Christ so good, so sweet. And Stephen was getting there, but I don't know if he had a chance to. They cut him off. They couldn't handle the truth. They couldn't endure. Just quickly before we move on, like what about us? God help us. Forgive us if we've become enraged and gnashed our teeth at the word of God. Instead of repenting, they were raging. Instead of kneeling and begging God for mercy, they gnashed their teeth. Verse 55. This is beautiful. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is totally evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Gazed into heaven. Where's your gaze tonight? What's your attention on these days? Like Tani was saying earlier, in the midst of such an intense moment, what consumes your thoughts? I love that he was gazing into heaven. It reminds me of a psalm, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Inquire in his temple. Stephen, full of the Spirit, had his gaze fixed on heaven, man. Been praying, God, make us a people. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, this is interesting because in this verse it says he's seated, and in Acts it says Jesus is what? Standing. That's interesting. But he's saying, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things above, not the things of the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. When you're filled with the Spirit, straight up, you have your mind set on eternity. It's so true. It's so true. I'm just imagining this. I mean, and it says he's standing, not sitting. Jesus is standing. And I imagine him just standing there, like maybe welcoming his servant home. 
applauding him. Well done. Well done, Stephen. You are a faithful witness. You told them the whole gospel, not just bits and pieces of it. Well done. Standing him, just to welcome him home or applaud him. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is just such a text to look at and just you just got to sit in it and marvel at it. I mean, every Christian ought to hope and pray we would hear such words when our life is done. Guys, this is Stephen's last breaths. It, do, it should do us good to really look and weigh in on the life of the martyrs, especially this one here tonight. I love where his gaze is. Are we consumed by the things of this life right now? Like just be honest with yourself. Where has your gaze been? You have no time to look upward anymore. No time to pause and gaze upon his beauty. We ought to be a people that watch and wait, setting our minds on things above. You know, we'll do greater good in this life if we keep our eyes on the next. I believe that with all my heart. It's when I'm so consumed and caught up in this life is when I'm not full with the Spirit. That's why I love the songs that you guys choose, Trevor and, you know, Johnny or Cher, whoever's leading, that you choose songs that just kind of set our affections on things above. I love that. We must, rem- we must be a people that just keep looking to eternity. We'll do greater good in this life with our eyes on the next. So this is happening in verse 57. They cry out with a loud voice, and they stop their ears, and they rush together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stone him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet. Now, this is noteworthy of a young man named Saul. So Stephen dies here. And with his final breaths, he's proclaiming Christ. He's, he's speaking forth the word of God. And for those of you who know about Saul or don't know about Saul, in a couple chapters, you'll see he's also known as Paul you'll see that he's a man who wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. He goes from being the persecutor of the church to the preacher of Christ. He takes what Stephen surveyed in the Old Testament, and he expounds it through 13 deep letters of doctrine. Don't look at Stephen's life and think, wow, what a sad waste. Young man, had his whole life ahead of him. First first and last sermon, dead. Wow, that sucks. I don't know if I want to follow Christ. Don't you think that? Stephen's life was not a waste. God's word does not return empty. It shall accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Stephen gave his last breath speaking forth the word of God. And it was not in vain. I love 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, where the whole chapter is about the resurrection of Christ. And then he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not in vain. This death was not for nothing. 
Little did Stephen know the incredible impact that he would have had on this young man Saul standing there. Stephen did not live to see the fruit of the seed he sowed. But oh man, the fruit that came from that message was major. It's such a, I'm starting to really realize and weigh this in and just feel like, man, I'm, I may not live to see the fruit of the, the seed sown here in our church in Hawaii, but I'm just so privileged to be a part of this. Whatever, whatever position and role I get to play in the church, like it's just so crazy to me. It's so worth it. All sweat and if God needs to blood, this was not a waste. If you're a Christian, and you live now to advance the kingdom of God and speak the gospel to people, the whole gospel, not just part of it, the whole thing in love, whether you're hated or murdered, it's not in vain. Fruit will come from that. And we may not live to see the fruit of it, but we can be assured of this, his word will accomplish. It's just wild to think that Saul was there. And he doesn't forget him because I think later in the 20s, when we get to Acts 20, he, Saul mentions back to Stephen. He doesn't forget this. I wonder if he thought of Stephen when he wrote Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I wonder if he had imprinted images of that day when Stephen was stoned. And then he meant, yeah, that was my role. That's my hero, man. Stephen triggered it for me. Maybe, I don't know. One of the favorite tombstones I love to visit when I um, go up to the Oahu Cemetery to, to just walk or pray or do my devotions, um, Lauren Andrews is a, a reverend in the 1800s that came down with the AMB to do missions work in Hawaii. And he actually did work in um, creating the, the, the first Hawaiian dictionary, English Hawaiian dictionary. And um, on his tombstone, I actually asked the Dwarts if that's why they named Lauren, but Another good reason why they named him Lord. But um, on his tombstone, it reads this. My highest honor, because it lists all these accomplishments that he's done. But then at the very end of his tombstone, it says this. My highest honor was being a faithful preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Highest honor. To live is Christ, die is gain. Stephen would have said, amen, written by the man who approved his execution. How wild is that? That's just breathtaking to me. It's a privilege to be a part of a local church and to serve here in any capacity. As long as we're advancing the kingdom of God and preaching this gospel. God, help us. Let us never compromise it. There's nothing more humbling. No, there's no higher honor, guys. Verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, gosh, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
we said this earlier, but you can't help but think of Christ, right? Preaching the Old Testament like Christ. Now he's praying like Christ. Dying for the cause of Christ. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said when he was being pinned, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Oh, Lord, will you fill us with the Spirit so much so that if a day ever, ever, <laughs> I mean, gosh, we, we get a hard time praying for brothers and sisters who aren't even persecuting us, you know? <laughs> like, we just get problems, <laughs> and we don't even, like, pray for them. We have a lot to grow, right? God needs a lot. He needs to grow, work on us a lot to get to a place where Jesus says in Matthew 5.44, I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. This has really rocked my world this week in the way in which I prayed and who I prayed for. And I confess my sins to God. There are people in my life I've written off. I think yeah, they're, they're too far gone. They've already rejected you. They've already rejected me. And I got to be very very clear with you guys, it's been a struggle to just pray for them. Please hear this. God answered Stephen's prayer. And we see it at least in the life of Saul. That's wild. I hope and pray this reinvigors us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Pray for the, the, the people you might think is the least unlikely saint. Do we pray? Would we pray? God help us. Stephen's prayer was answered. Saul was the answer to his prayer. And perhaps many others. That's why I think I love this. Paul, I was reading this earlier with Michael. 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul says this. The, the man who murdered Stephen says this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. And I just think to myself, oh man, when he wrote that. Yeah, I used to murder Christians. And now I just, I love Christ. Whatever gain I had, I counted all as loss. It's crazy, it's coming from this young man, Saul. Who's standing there like, yeah, get him, get him. If you need another rock, here you go, bro. I got you. Let's keep it going. That guy filled with so much anger and rage against this message, this Christ. So hardened in his sin. So, so filled with his own self-righteousness. And yet God, we'll see in a couple chapters, oh, he just brings him to his knees. I really believe with all my heart that I'm saved because my dad and my mother prayed for me. They prayed for this rebellious sinner. People, uncles and aunties in our church were praying for me. You guys are here probably, and you're hearing this. If, if the Spirit of God is at work in you, I do believe it's because people were praying for you. Even when you could care less about this book, less about Christ and his church. We need to pray. We need to pray. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This has moved and motivated my prayer life to a whole different degree. 
and I thank the Lord for it. I'm so even glad that we got to pray for John Varian. I mean, he's not even persecuting us. He's just, you know, he's in our vicinity. But it's like, man, can you just imagine what God would do if we, like Stephen, really just surrender ourselves? Ask the Lord, fill us with your power. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with faith and grace. And let's now take this message and just in love, share it. Do you, here's a question for us. Do you care about your friends, your coworkers, your family members enough to speak to them about sin? And they're just not, don't stop there. But do, you, do we care and love them enough to talk about it, address the sin, and then lead them and tell them about this Savior, this amazing Christ who came and lived perfectly, righteously, and in love, he demonstrated his own love in this, that while we are sinners, he died, and he rose, and he conquered sin and death, and he said, believe on me, take my righteousness upon you, trust me for this, and you'll have eternal life. Do we care enough? Repent, brother, sister, father of your sin, return to the Lord. This message truly consumes Stephen and the apostles in the church. And it shows because we're seeing it. They were willing to die for this. Comes to the end. We're at the end with Powell. But think, pray right now. Whatever, however the Holy Spirit was speaking to you through the list of those five or six observations. Is there, a, is there a raging spirit in you that gnashes at the truth? You'd rather listen to entertaining, tickling sermons that just tell you what you want to hear? Maybe are we in sin this evening? That needs to, we just need to come into the light, address it. Are we faithful witnesses like Stephen, speaking it all? Do we love? Do we care enough? God, grow us to a place where we really would. We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. But let's, let's finish like this. Um, we'll spend a moment just praying. Just, just in silence, a minute. I'll let you pray. It seems like there are a lot of you look like you have people on your mind, thoughts that you're kind of maybe going through. And just pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to move in us. And, um, and then I'll close us. Okay? So as the Spirit leads, go ahead and go to him. Lord, thank you so much for this evening together. Thank you for the life of Stephen. What an amazing example of a man of God. Though young and seemingly, in our eyes, short-lived, 
He lived a full life, that man. Lord, we confess if we too, like these religious leaders, um, are so attached to our own record-keeping, our own traditions and customs, or maybe even these certain places, um, our religion, our man-centered religion, and we pride in those things. We're thankful that you did send Jesus, and Christ accomplished it all, and that none of us can boast now in our own efforts and works. We only boast in Christ. We pray that we would repent of our sins and trust in him alone. And we pray that you would work so much so in us that we too, like Stephen, would be so filled with the spirit that we would go and be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Lord, for those individuals maybe that we have in mind and heart that we've been thinking of and praying for, Lord, help us to really care about them. Help us to love them. And if you open up a door this week, for us to speak truth in love. Help us to open our mouths and share this good news. Help us to embody the spirit of Christ the way Stephen and this church, the early church did. And God of mercy and grace upon us now as we go. Thank you so much uh, for the encouragement of Stephen's life. Help us now uh, to really muse on these things, to not forget them. Help us to meditate and uh, continue to work in us now. Um, Spirit and truth, we pray. We love you, Lord. Keep us abiding in this love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.